Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Um, today I would like to go back into the area of philosophy a little bit and I want to cover a topic uh, that's rather a large topic um, and it's a topic that's uh, come under attack in the last hundred years and uh, as the century is worn on it's come under more and more attack. Uh, that topic is actually the Enlightenment. Um, we have a large number of critics of the Enlightenment on both sides of the spectrum, the left and the right. Um, the attacks from the right uh, really started much earlier than the attacks from the left. Uh, the attacks from the right generally attacked the Enlightenment on the grounds that it was uh, a rival of religion, that it kind of put forward a society that was too secular and therefore unable to be grounded in any real morality. Now, this, uh, these attacks pretty much started from the beginning, from the churches with the Enlightenment, uh, and they really haven't stopped the entire time of the Enlightenment. As time has gone on, uh, the churches have made concessions uh, more and more as uh, things from science have proven uh, not only to be uh, to seem to be true, but to be able to uh, improve the lives of people and stand up to scrutiny. Uh, one of the things that has really brought this uh, attack on the Enlightenment back is sort of towards the end of last century and into this century, uh, we've had a lot of attacks from the religious right that um, secularism is what has destroyed the country, destroyed the world. Uh, the Enlightenment has basically been blamed for all of the problems of uh, modern life. The fact that people feel cut off, that society is no longer uh, as unified as it once was, since some people are religious, some people are not religious, and even among the religions, uh, religious, there are lots of competing religions. And so we don't have a sense of one culture and one society within a nation anymore. Uh, all nations are sort of composed of lots of different cultures, lots of different ideas. Uh, this has led many on the right to criticize the Enlightenment as being something that is a destroyer of values. Now from the left, uh, the crit the critiques of Enlightenment have been much more recent, um, starting out towards the beginning of the 20th century and moving through the 20th century. Uh, the attacks uh, from the left have more to do with um, uh, sort of opposition to the authoritarian systems that have come about under the Enlightenment. Um, the colonial capitalism, the uh, industrial and consumer capitalism, the fascist systems, the uh, authoritarian communist systems, uh, these are all critiqued as being part of the Enlightenment and what is wrong with the Enlightenment. And they've sort of been uh, seen as, uh, again, from the left, as the cause of a lot of our problems. A lot of the critiques from the left have been uh, in an attempt to undo some of this uh, absolute authority from the top. Um, the left has also expanded their critiques of the Enlightenment um, to uh, critique the patriarchy, um, to critique the fact that uh, women, um, even under the supposedly enlightened times, have often been 
um, relegated to second-class citizens. Uh, the critiques from the left of the Enlightenment um, also deal with a lot of the racism and a lot of the um, uh, homophobia and things like that. Sort of the idea that the dominant uh, society has created these categories which have allowed people to be enslaved, um, persecuted, and marginalized from society. Um, so a lot of the attack from the left was sort of an attempt to kind of uh, broaden the rights of different groups and to kind of expand them and to say that there is no one narrative that we can force everyone to live under. Because one of the ideas of the Enlightenment is that, you know, through the process of Enlightenment, we will actually come to the one system that is right for everyone. Um, <clears throat> so these criticisms from the left and the right um, do have validity. Um, but it seems that both of these have sort of come to the conclusion uh, that in a lot of ways we just need to... Uh, toss out the Enlightenment, toss out the idea of secularism on the one side, toss out the idea of, uh, um, of uh, progress uh, being possible under the current systems on the other hand, uh, and just kind of start over or go to some uh, wonderful past that was perfect. Now, there are ideas in the Enlightenment that are very flawed, um, but just because some of the ideas are flawed doesn't mean they all are. You know, a lot of the ideas of the Enlightenment are things that have led us to advances in medicine, advances in technologies that have made life easier. They've also led to advances in technology that make it possible to end all life. So it's a much more complicated thing that what people realize. Yes, there are negatives out of the Enlightenment, but there are also many positives as well. Uh, one of the things I want to do in these next several lectures is go into some of the issues that come out of the Enlightenment. And I really break them down into three areas. Uh, the first area is problematic ideas that have come out of the Enlightenment. The second area is ideas that were good, but that we've never quite lived up to. Um, ideas that, if they were actually put into practice, would be wonderful things, but the way they've been put into practice has been very limited and benefited mostly a small number of people, as opposed to benefiting everyone as they were intended. And then the third problem I want to go into is the idea that um, sort of the idea that people have of the perfect founding parents. Uh, the idea that, you know, they developed this idea, these ideas way back when, and these were perfect people that have perfect ideas, uh, and therefore we can never change the ideas, we can never alter the ideas. Um, but if it turns out that these ideas don't work, then our only option then becomes to uh, destroy the whole system and tear the whole thing down. So I'm going to deal with all three of these issues. Uh, in today's podcast, I'm going to stick with a couple of the problem ideas from the Enlightenment. And two of the biggest problem ideas that I see with the Enlightenment um, are ideas that uh, really have led into a lot of the other problems that we have. Uh, the first big problem is the idea of private property. Um, and I'll go into that in detail in a minute. Um, the second idea that's been problematic is the idea of capitalism. 
And the first idea sort of um, goes into the second idea and becomes magnified uh, when you move it into the realm of the second idea. Um, but before I get to the second idea, I do want to go back and talk about the problems with the idea of private property. Now this is an idea that is very ingrained into the minds of most. Uh, and there's even the idea that your two choices are private property uh, or communism. And there's, there, there are no other ways of looking at the world, of looking at uh, things. Uh, this is one uh, incorrect. This is an either-or fallacy. There are many other ways we can think about this. Um, so it's not necessarily communism to challenge the idea of private property. Uh, and in fact, my challenge of private property is based on the fact that it is something that is simply not possible. Um, it is impossible for humans to have private property. Because under the concept of private property, uh, when you have private property, that belongs to you um, to do with as you wish. Uh, to make use of, to destroy, um, because it is yours forever. Uh, the problem with that is obviously the last term, forever. Uh, we are not forever-type creatures. Uh, even someone with an extremely long lifespan still has a relatively short lifespan in the history of the world and even in the history of people. Um, so how can you own something forever when you are not a being that is forever? Uh, the idea is that if you can, if it's yours forever, uh, you can destroy it, you can pollute it, you can do whatever you wish. But since we're creatures who do not live forever, um, the, it's more realistic to say that everything we have is borrowed. Um, now, to say that everything we have is borrowed does not mean we have no rights to things. We have no rights to usage, for example. This is false. Uh, when you borrow something, you do have the rights to usage. Um, you have the right to use uh, what you've borrowed um, for the intended purposes. Uh, it is yours to use as long as the borrowing goes on, as long as it's in your possession. Uh, you are free to use it. The thing you also have, though, under borrowing is you have a responsibility. If something is mine, I can smash it, I can pollute it, I can burn it up, I can do whatever I want. But if I've borrowed something, a lawnmower for example, from my neighbor, I do not have the right to destroy that thing. I do not have the right to uh, burn it, smash it, damage it intentionally, uh, paint it a different color. I, ha I have none of those rights because it is only mine temporarily. I have the right to the use of it while I have it, but I also have a responsibility to return it when the time comes for it to go back. And ethically, if you borrow something, you should always be looking to return it in as good, if not better, condition. So if I <clears throat> borrow my neighbor's lawnmower, for example, it would be a good idea if maybe I filled it with gas before I returned it. Um, cleaned it up, made sure it wasn't, you know, stuck with the grass uh, from my lawn. So make it nice. Uh, if I know how and have the ability to, maybe sharpen the blade so it works even better. But the idea is that since it's not mine, I have responsibilities. Um, and when you look at everything that you 
have been told that you own, you really own none of those things. You are simply borrowing them from future generations um, who will use, who will come in and have to use these things. Uh, if you pollute the land that you live on and make it uninhabitable, uh, then you've sort of been a bad borrower. You, you've taken what wasn't yours and destroyed it so that when you give it back, it's no longer in usable condition. Um, <clears throat> with these problems that come with borrowing, uh, they become amplified under capitalism because capitalism is basically a system of private ownership where larger things are owned. Uh, companies, corporations, large farms, um, you know, large areas of rental property or industrial areas, uh, industrial equipment, uh, industrial factories. So this idea of private ownership um, gets extended to all of that. And as with private property, there's sort of a sense of, well, this is my factory, my farmland, um, my corporation, my bank. I can destroy it if I see fit because it's mine. Um, when in actuality, you're just borrowing it. And you're borrowing at a much larger level when you're borrowing something that big. Because now you're, you're in charge of something that you're calling your own where you have possibly hundreds, thousands, you know, tens of thousands of workers, depending on how big your business is, um, you're dealing with um, industries that could possibly be polluting, uh, destroying the atmosphere, causing climate change, pouring chemicals into rivers and streams, uh, you know, making land unusable uh, by toxins or by um, destruction of the topsoil. And so your, um, your ability to inflict damage on what you've borrowed uh, becomes much greater. So with these two issues, the issues of private property and by extension the issue of capitalism, we've sort of come to a, a mentality where everything is to be owned. And at some point when everything is to be owned that starts to be extended to people. Um, you start to get a sense that you own people. Uh, you own your employees, you own your spouse, um, and that's a very different relationship than what a normal healthy human relationship would be. Uh, humans uh, shouldn't be owning other humans. Um, this, is, this is not something that is uh, the way that humans should be. Uh, we have responsibilities to each other. So in a lot of the system of capitalism and the system of private property, uh, what happened was this was put in place um, by the people who created the systems. And those people were generally people who were very wealthy. And they were people who wanted to ensure the fact that their wealth would be preserved. Uh, and so they kind of codify this idea of private property. Uh, that this, you know, this wealth, this business, this farmland is mine for all of eternity to do with whatever I please. And since I'm the one who owns most of the land, I should be the one who makes all of the decisions. So a lot of what you see in the political systems that have come about because of the idea of private property and capitalism is that while you may have 
systems that allow voting, um, you have systems that generally allow voting for acceptable candidates. They have to make it through the process, which means they're going to be candidates who will always um, enforce the rights of private property. And these rights of private property are not the rights of regular people to their homes. These rights of private property that they're enforcing are the rights of the wealthy to uh, own large amounts of land, large amounts of wealth, uh, far beyond even what most of them could ever spend if they wanted to. So a lot of our issues uh, that come out of enlightenment actually stem from two main ideas, uh, private property and capitalism. Now, does that mean we have to suddenly nobody owns every, anything and we're uh, in a communist society? No. But it does mean we need to take a different attitude towards the things we have. We need to take the attitude that this is not all mine to destroy. This, we need to take the attitude that I am simply borrowing all of this. And I have a responsibility to future generations that when I turn this over, when I'm done with it, this is still something that they can use so that they will become responsible for wise ownership and usage to turn it over to the people that come after them. Okay, I'm going to break off for today because I do try to keep these episodes uh, relatively short, but the next time we will be picking up with some of the ideals of the Enlightenment that were not quite lived up to, but ideals that are still very valuable ideas that we should strive to live up to. I hope all of you are doing well. I hope all of you are staying safe. Uh, until I talk to you again, um, have a good day. Thank you.